0: Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, My name is Chris Causey. If this is the first time you're here today, I am so glad you're here and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, If you are here for the first time, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop just so that we can jump straight into today because I think today can be really helpful for us um, if this is your first time or this is just one of many times you've been here, um, whether online or on site. So, um, We have a free app that we've created, Encounter Church. Um, You can download it at EncounterChurch.com forward slash app. The reason why is that I'm going to skim over a story, and what we are able to do inside of the app is give you a lot of resources, and I can put all the text from today's message inside of the app. Um, I will not be able to go through all of the text today because I want to give us this broad overview and hopefully in the process change how you and I see um, Christmas, so Um, in the process, you can download that, work through the story later. Um, I'm also going to reference a resource that's going to be available free inside of the app. Um, and so that's a free place that you can grab that. Okay. So with that said, counterchurch.com forward slash app, we're not tracking you or selling your information. Um, we wouldn't even know how, quite honestly, if we had to. So, um, and nobody got time for that. So we're we're just going to skip it. So uh, here's the thing. I want to pick up today on a conversation that I started last week. Um, You didn't have to hear last week's conversation to jump in. And let's just be honest, as human beings, we don't really need to hear a conversation happening before us to jump in, right? I mean, that is essentially the internet. Everyone is jumping into a conversation that they have no clue what's going on, and they feel completely free to do so. So Feel free to jump into this conversation in the second week. Um, the first week of this conversation, I give you a paradigm around processing mental and emotional health that's embedded um, intuitively in the design of the Old Testament Psalms. And that, that paradigm was at the heart of how um, the Jewish people processed grief and intense emotions on a variety of spectrum. Anger, frustration, disappointment. The Psalms were the songbook, the the original hymnal for uh, the Jewish people, and Christianity came out of Judaism. And so, to understand Christianity fully, you have to understand Judaism. And so, that's where, for us to have this conversation, I wanted to understand. I wanted you and I to kind of have the same page understanding because the Jewish people had a very healthy, intuitive way of processing through emotions that God had kind of woven into the fabric of. the book of Psalms. So that was the operating system that was helpful. So if you're able to listen to that last week, then great, you have a really good layer. If you're not able to listen to that, the, the app that I referenced, um, the podcast is in there. We're also on Spotify, Apple Music, and if podcasts shift to pigeons dropping off hard drives, I'm sure we'll be on that one day too, okay? So it's available. It's there for you. Um, today, I want to do is get really practical Um, Because I think there are some incredible things happening in the Christmas story that we can miss. And if you remember, I came back um, the first part of the series and just said that the Christmas scene for most of us is Christmas music and little plastic nativity scenes. That this just doesn't capture what the Christmas story was really like. And so um, that's what we're going to jump into today. And we're going to start with the beginning of the beginning of the Christmas story And Luke 28, when the angel said to her, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words because any of us would be greatly troubled. I mean, if an angel shows up at your house and says anything to you, your automatic response is probably some form of losing of some bowels and being greatly troubled, okay? Because that's not normal. That's terrifying. And it's exactly how she responds, right? and wondered what kind of greeting might this be. Like, she's thinking, am I about to die? Right? Um, How do I know that? The angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid, Mary. Why is he telling her not to be afraid? Because she's terrified. Because that's what you do when some glowing Jack Bauer or whoever, whatever, kind of version, it ain't a chubby baby angel with a little naked behind, Popping in her room. Because that's not terrifying. That's aww. Right? Like chubby little babies don't terrify people. She is terrified because this is some visitation from a supernatural being. And he says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Which is a very polite way of saying, Mary, you're not going to die right now. And to which Mary's like, whew. All right. Check. Because that's what I thought was about to happen next. Now, um, just wanted to tease that out a little bit because this is really what I want to do for the entire Christmas story, but I can't because we don't have time. So let me just cut straight to the chase. Everything that follows after this, even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably going to be somewhat aware, right? The angel tells her, hey, Mary, I know you're not married. I know you don't know any man, but guess what? You're going to have a baby. And then... By the way, this baby's going to be extraordinary. God's going to do something incredible through this baby. Like, governments are going to rise and fall. He's going to be the son of the Most High. Like, this is a significant moment, right? And it's like, fast forward, and she has this baby in uh, whatever barn feeding trough upper room setting it happens to be. It's it's not Newton Wellesley OBGYN, okay? Okay. So it's not comfortable, it's not sanitary. She has this baby, angels and shepherds and a couple years later the wise men all show up. Right? This is completely an abnormal story. But I don't want us to get there. I want us to start here because this is the part when you slow it down and you stare at the subtlety, you realize how crazy the story actually is and how much Mary has to teach us this Christmas. So let me cut to the chase. If you had a teenage daughter and she came home to you and said, I'm pregnant, but it's God's baby, how would that land with you? How would you respond if you got a text message from your teenager that said, hey, good news, bad news. Bad news, pregnant. Good news, it's God's. Okay? You would respond exactly how Mary's parents responded. Like, we're going for a drug test right now. Right? Like, what did, girl, I know you're lying. You're just swinging for the fence with this one, aren't you? Like, you couldn't have made-up something smaller? You just went straight for God made me pregnant? Come on now. It's like a toddler saying an alien transported whatever it was out of the room. You're like, come on. Like, that's just, that's dumb. Do you think I'm stupid? And not only do you and I intuitively know how her parents would have responded, what you need to know is in the first century context, that what Mary got dealt with here is extraordinary. What Mary just got handed here is heavy. You see, the biggest weight Mary is going to carry over the next nine months isn't the weight of the baby growing inside of her. It's the weight of judgment, shame, of misunderstanding and condemnation. In this context in this place and this time, an unmarried pregnant girl I mean, people are going to talk. They're going to whisper they're all going to maybe hear the murmurings that something special is going on, but they all know what went on. Because, you know, she's engaged to Joseph. We know what happened there. I mean, but she's living in a context where she knows. And now Joseph knows, but he knows it ain't his. And it takes divine intervention to turn that storyline And for nine months, Mary is going to carry the weight of the cultural pressure of what's going on. So when we say good tidings of great joy, when we say Merry Christmas, it was not that merry for Mary. Nine months of being misunderstood, of being ostracized, of people not talking to her. Right like we have this little chubby little figurine that sits on our little nativity scene and she's smiling and she's happy. Mary would have been canceled for 9 months by everyone that knows her because who is going to believe that she's pregnant with God's baby? Come on now. And I think we can if we slow down, if we humanize Mary, we actually pick up on some really profound things that plays out in the Christmas story that I just want to point out. I don't have time to double-click on all these things, because if I did, we'd be here till Christmas, okay? So I'm not. I'm just going to give you, I just want to show you in one way how profoundly wise this teenage girl actually was, how extraordinary she was, and how spiritually and emotionally and mentally strong. She was to carry the weight of God's baby in a culture that would have shamed, guilted, and completely destroyed her life and ostracized her because of what had happened to her. I mean, this is a shame-based culture, honor-based culture. Those cultures still exist today. If you ever have an opportunity to travel beyond this world that we live in and see the bigger world, honor and shame cultures are radically different than American culture. The American culture is not a shame-based, it's a, it's a justice-oriented culture, which is radically different. So, before I can get to what Mary does for you and I to understand how we can do it, I want to take a brief digression into a conversation that's going to stress you out. Let's talk about stress. Something that Mary understood. Something that Mary was intimately aware of during those nine months. And something I imagine that you and I can relate to right now. I don't know about you, but I'm having a little bit of a PTSD moment in the midst of watching the NBA and the NHL all of a sudden start kind of pulling the emergency brakes. Right? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I am not co-signing whatever this is. I, I just, I don't. I can't, right? I mean, like, I feel it. And no doubt, you probably feel it too. That we all thought, man, this summer will finally be done with the insanity. And then we learned a new Greek letter. And then we're like, okay, we'll, we'll finally get this one done. And then we're all... Biggest travel day since the pandemic. We're all eating Thanksgiving. And the next day, hungover on turkey and tryptophan and stuffing. We discover that there's something else, a new Greek letter for us to learn. And it's like, what is happening right now? And what you may not realize about the human body and how God designed it is that there is an ideal stress zone for you and I to live in. One of the biggest um, neurochemical hormonal um kind of components in our body that deals with stress is the compound cortisol. You've probably heard of cortisol before. It's something that for many of us, if we've got any kind of loose connection with the word, we hear stress, we hear cortisol, and we instantly think bad, negative. But cortisol is actually essential for life. It's the exciting It's the thing that kind of energizes us. In fact, you literally need cortisol to wake up. It peaks around 9 a.m. in the morning. So stress is a good thing. Stress is a healthy thing. What happens, though, is living in a modern age with struggles that we all have that's not just modern, it's historic, it's prehistoric, it's human, is that We have this stress zone but when we go outside of the stress zone when there's more pressure when there's more things pressing into our lives than what we can handle inside of our zone we go into what's called distress. And now the reason I put distress over and under is because there's actually two different ways we tend to respond to distress. We can react in an over kind of way and we can react in an under kind of way. If you were... Um, a counselor, you would say, "With um, this is a hyper arousal state. This is a hypo arousal state. This is a de energized. This is a hyper energized state. This state up here. What marks this is that fight or flight, that adrenaline surge, anger, over, over anxious, constantly worrying, having trouble sleeping at night, because your mind's racing." Like this is the place where you find yourself with a shorter fused than you normally have. But then there's the other side, the hypo side, the under, the zone. That's marked by feelings of just numbness, emotional disconnected, extreme forms of depression, where you just don't have the energy to want to wake up in the morning where you just feel exhausted, you feel down, you feel low. And that how you're wired and your experiences in a far more complex conversation we can have right now will oftentimes shape which way you go. But oftentimes, uh, because of our desire to live inside the zone, we'll go this way, we'll do something to try to go up here. And what happens is we break straight through the zone and we go way up here. And things can be interestingly used in different ways. So you can use certain drugs to try to bring you up. You can use certain drugs to try to push you down. Food can be a great thing that you use, right? I gained weight during the pandemic, and it's because I turned to food in certain one of these moments because I realized cookies and cream ice cream can carry me through anything, right? It, So this is something that happens to us. We get outside of this zone and we move into these hyper and hypo spaces and we react and we self-medicate. And we self-medicate with all kinds of things and because we're humans and because we're creative, we can self-medicate with almost anything. Whether it's Tiger King or whether it's exercise or something in between. Whether we're trying to escape and numb and ignore, or whether we overwork, trying to conquer and defeat. Reality is is that these places are not healthy places to be. And to further compound it, what happens is when we go through really hard, chronic seasons, when we go through really difficult things, like maybe say a pandemic. What happens is that stress zone because of that, actually shrinks. And this, if there's any visual that I think explains the ridiculousness of the last 18, 20 months that we've lived through, the reason we've had fools climbing walls trying to conquer and defeat and overthrow things, the reason internet comments have gotten absurd, the reason things that should have never been political has turned political, is because This dynamic right here happening to us societally. We all thought we were good and we didn't even realize that our stress zone boxes shrunk drastically. It's why some of the things that normally wouldn't bother you bothers you now. Right? So distress used to be up here and now it takes less to trigger you. It takes less to throw you into one of those hypo or hyper spaces. It's why relationships started to struggle. It's why drinking, it's why drug use increased. It is no accident that the current drug that people are obsessed with culturally in this moment is something that is a drug that's known for its effects of bringing people down. I mean, you can almost understand, there's been sociological research on this, I'm not going to get into it, but it's a fascinating thing if you ever want to run down a rabbit hole, that you can almost understand a culture by studying the most popular drugs used in that culture. Because it says something about this and what's the cultural winds pushing people towards. We're in this place of constant vigilance. I mean, you think about it. We live in a world right now where for 18 months, the things that were meant to give us comfort and peace are the enemy people, right? Like, we, have, we can't trust people, we can't be around people because they have something invisible in them that can make me sick. We wear masks that cut off our ability to communicate non-verbally. Like, there's so many nuances and subtleties that, like, are just future researchers' dreams, okay? I mean, like, the amount of research that's going to come out of this living experience an experiment we've been in, is, is I can't wait to read it, okay? And be like, oh, I live that. And, and my grandkids aren't going to care, okay? Probably, but I'm going to care. Because this is what life is right now for us. We've all been squeezed and pushed and the things. We fly off the handle. We get loose. We get frustrated. I mean, this explains, I said it before, and I'll keep saying this explains Tiger King. Right? This explains certain TV shows. And certain activities. This this thing explains TikTok. I mean, like, I'm telling you, this is just profound insight, visually speaking, okay? But here's the crazy thing what Mary understood that I want us to press into, kind of briefly, kind of hit, is that there is another way. You can actually reverse the push, you can actually reverse the flow you can actually increase the size and capacity that you have to endure stress. And what's amazing is that while some of this stuff is things that you would click on the internet right now and it would be quoting a recent study and something brand new out of Stanford or like Pennsylvania or Michigan and Positivity Lab, like this is something Mary is about to blow your mind with because 2,000 years ago, she is not self-medicating, she is self-caring and soul-caring her way in such a way that actually stretches her capacity. And remember this, a teenage girl who God has told you're going to become pregnant is about to make us all look like emotional wimps. Because the way she carries this thing is extraordinary. But the way she carries it is actually in the text and in the story. And I want to show you how to have a Merry Christmas. Okay? I just want to hit a few things that Mary does that you and I can do today that can help us emotionally, mentally, and spiritually be in a healthier place. Okay? So, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, right? And then, so this is one of the first things. I don't know if you noticed this. It says, do not be afraid. Now, that may feel like a small thing. But what the angel is actually doing for her is actually really, really profound and helpful. And it's so simple you can miss it. It's called labeling. Labeling is what my wife does with our two-year-old all the time, right? Like, I can, we can be sitting in our living room, and my son is happy, and then in a moment's breath, he turns into this little mini Tasmanian devil, incredible Hulk love child, where he's flying off the handle, he's really angry, he's screaming, and my wife will get down and say, honey, are you, are you mad? Yes, mad, Henry, mad. Let's talk about that, right? I mean, but what she does in that moment, I think as humans, we can miss how simple it is. Because think about it. You were born into this world. You didn't get handed a handbook for your emotions. And my heart breaks for him because here he is. He's happy. He's playing with trains. And then his sister grabs a train to play with him, and he decides in the moment that that's the train he wants versus all the other trains in the world. And because she has that one train, his body is instantly overtaken and surged with these really strong emotions that he doesn't even know what it is. He's essentially been hijacked. So imagine driving down the road and someone takes over your car. How terrifying would that be? That's exactly what he's experiencing. And that's what you and I experience when we go into these stressful zones. Especially when they drift into the distressful portion. And so why does the angel label? Because when you label something, you're in a better position to handle it. And I can literally watch it. I I get a front seat. She's so good at it. Henry, are you sad? I think you're feeling sad feelings. He's like, sad. You can watch his little frame as he's understanding what he's experiencing. He will actually, because labeling an emotion is a powerful thing. There's another component to it called leveling. This is something that my wife and I do with my daughter, and it drives her insane because I'm absolutely committed to, to, to raising a fully functioning adult. And so I recognize she needs labeling and leveling. So if you have the Encounter Church app, there's something called the Parenting Seminar. It says Parenting Seminar, but I promise you, if you're an adult and you're breathing, it's going to be a helpful resource because there's just some really practical things that you probably, I'm guessing some of us were never taught, right? I mean, you've got to be taught this stuff. I was reminded yesterday, my son was eating dinner, and Jenny had to say to him, because he had jammed Rice Krispies into his nose, son, Your nose is not a hole for things to go in, for food. Your mouth is the hole for food, not your nose. And he's trying to suck the rice krispies stuck in his nose further in. And she's like, stop it. Stop what you're doing. Your mouth is the food hole. Your nose is not. And on one hand, you're like, what is wrong with you, boy? And on the other hand, you're like, well, if I didn't understand anything about my body... I would think, well, this is a small piece of food. Maybe the small holes are for the small food and the big holes are for the big ones. I don't know, right? <laughs> That's him. And it's like, unless you're taught it, unless you caught it, you don't know it. And most likely you and I were not raised in a house of people who were dealing with a pandemic, right? This is my first pandemic. It's probably your first pandemic too. And you never caught or were taught how to navigate one of the hardest moments of your life emotionally. So if you have any tendencies or habits, which we all do, to respond in a hyper or hypo way in the midst of distress, then guess what? That's what you do because that's all you know to do. But we can be taught a different way. And this, the angel is labeling her emotion. That's fear. Fear. And that's a good thing, because if you know it's fear, you move it from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means it doesn't have you. And that's a really helpful thing. The other thing that we see in this passage, it says, he says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. This is what I'm telling you, man. When you slow down the story, this thing's so profound. If an angel appeared to you and told you you were gonna have a baby as a teenage girl, you would probably hear, "Womp womp 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 After everything else said. Have you ever been through something traumatic? It's like you lose control of your body. It's really hard to remember things. It's hard to kind of flow with the words. So where does Luke get these words from? Well, Luke interviews Mary. How does Mary remember these words? Well, Mary's had the angel label the fear, help her understand what she's feeling on the inside. And that frees up her brain. To continue to stay engaged in what's going on. And she remembers these details. She's quoting the angel to Luke. So this is so good when you slow down. You can see all this stuff, right? And so the angel continues. I am the Lord's servant. I mean, so he goes through. And then Mary at the end says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Why? Because Zechariah and Elizabeth are walking through a similar miraculous moment that no one else is going to believe. And she understands. I mean, notice, she gets ready and she hurried to a town. Why? Because she just had some of the heaviest news that she's ever gotten in her life, and so what is she looking for? She's going to embark. So you should know this. So she's in Nazareth, right? Um, Nazareth is the equivalent of uh, Branchville, okay? So Nazareth, Branch, Branchville. Um, So the idea that literally um, Branchville kind of gives you a sense of the ruralness of where Mary is. So she's in a rural community. If you've ever been in a small town, grew up in a small town, had a small community, you know people talk, right? So she's like, I'm getting out of this cesspool, and I am... Going to move to to the only group of people who understand what I'm going through. This travel today, if you were to drop, if I were to drop you into Israel today with all of its modern kind of things like roads that are paved, and you were to walk yourself from Nazareth to where she was going to go outside of Jerusalem, it would take you 30 hours to walk it nonstop. Mary embarks on a multi-day trip. Why? Because she is moving towards community. She goes to the only people who are going to understand what she's going through. And I think this is one of those subtle things. Mary's Christmas labeling emotions helped her to regain control of what she was going through. Community helped her to move through it. These are all incredibly profound practices that Mary had and that you and I can have. Because this pandemic has given us emotions that we've never had to experience before that we have to figure out how to label. And this pandemic put us in a position to be more isolated than we've ever been before. And so what Mary's doing here is exactly what you and I need to be doing as well. And so Mary has traveled all of these days to get into the, to, to this group of people who are going to be the only people who are going to understand. And Elizabeth responds with being blown away because the baby inside her, she's six months along, jumps in response to hearing Mary's voice. And Mary's response is to state a poem that she composed on that multi-day journey He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So Mary, on the way down, right, processes her experience. She uses that time in between to actually work through her experiences to the point that she can literally put words to what she's experiencing. She's able to verbalize it. Now, what's interesting is, like, there's a surge right now in popularity of people journaling and writing down their thoughts. I mean, this is... Just intentionalizing the processing portion. Because when we walk through hard times, we have to process that. We can't just rush to the next thing and imagine that that thing isn't there anymore. See, the past is not behind you. The past is in you. Until you process it out of you. And this is what she's doing in that journey to see Elizabeth. And if you notice, this is a really subtle thing man I tell you like I've had so much fun working through this stuff cuz I'm like man this is so good thank you god right she takes a longer perspective she sees beyond the 9 months like when the angel said hey this is what's about to happen like there's no way to rush it there's no way she can kind of get out of it quicker there is no off ramp to get through it like it's not even something she can hide i mean the best story that she can come up with to her her loved ones for the next 9 months is she's developed a really voracious appetite. It's like, Mary, you put on a lot of weight. Well, I've been eating a lot more, right? I mean, like, she can't cover this up. She has to go through it. And what does she do? She takes a longer perspective. She talks about rulers and generations calling her blessed. She's thinking about people who are not even born yet and how they're going to see this moment. And this is actually a really profound thing. So, for example, when you go to the gym, okay, you, not specifically me, but let's imagine you're going to the gym and you're working out. There's something fascinating that I think happens when you go to the gym. You will call intentionally pain, like you will call intentionally hurting yourself a good day. You will call... The, the pain of maxing out and ripping muscle tissue, something worthy of social media, you're like just maxed out today, a.k.a. I just ripped all the muscle tissues in my biceps today, fresh and new. And when you wake up the next morning, you're not lamenting and pouring a little muscle juice out for the fallen muscle cells. You're not sad about their loss. You're actually excited. You feel that and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the burn. That's the, that's the burn, that's, that's, that's me getting stronger. Because when you work out, you know today's struggle is tomorrow's strength, right? And what Mary understood was today's struggle would be tomorrow's strength because she was looking at it from the perspective of future generations, of what she was in the midst of. Because what we call our workout today Becomes our warm up tomorrow. A struggle can be a source of strength, but it depends on how you look at it. It depends on what frame you take from it. And she takes a longer one. And what we see one, two, three, four her labeling the emotions, seeking out community, processing intentionally through her experiences, and taking a longer perspective all of those things are things that you could do beginning today, and I would just encourage you, pick one of them. Just pick one. Don't try to do all four unless you're just one of those people are in that hyper state and you just think you can do it all. But pick one. You're going to see a difference. You're going to see your box expand. And you don't even have to believe anything that I believe about Christianity. But I would argue that you miss out on the most profound thing that she was doing all along that was actually the very source of the good tidings that she had. In the midst of all of that, all of those healthy, emotional, mental disciplines, she had a spiritual discipline that changed everything. And it's the part I want to leave you with. And to get there, I want to take you to Kathmandu. So this is Kathmandu, really large city. This is an image taken um, 2019 you can kind of get a sense for how big this place is just by the sheer amount of apartment buildings. Now, Kathmandu is at the foot of the Himalayans. But because of the population of Kathmandu, um, because of the geography around Kathmandu, the cars, the, the scooters, Kathmandu has a pollution problem. And it's something akin to what you would experience if you ever traveled to L.A. It's just this haze that hangs over. And in May of 2020, there was an incredible set of pictures that began to emerge out of Kathmandu. Because during the midst of the lockdown, when everyone was forced to stay home globally, the pollution problems, the, the sources of that haze began to evaporate. And what started to happen is Kathmandu started to gain clear skies for the first time in decades. And on a really beautiful day in May in Kathmandu, uh, someone who lived there came up to a hillside and took a picture of Kathmandu when there's no pollution present, when there's no haze hanging over the city. And what you can see is this stunning background of the Himalayan mountains. You can actually see Mount Everest in that picture. It's just really small. It was the first time Mount Everest had been seen in decades from Kathmandu. Because Mount Everest is 200 kilometers away from Kathmandu. When I saw this picture, I was thinking about this message. I mean, imagine, you've lived in Kathmandu your entire life if you're in your 20s or 30s. You've never seen this before. There, every single day with the sun setting, is this stunning view. Of the Himalayan mountains. These gorgeous rocky peaks. Covered in snow in the middle of summer. And I think that what Mary understood. What Mary had in her soul. That's present in the song. That gets captured. That gets called throughout human kind of church history. Like Mary's song. Is that Mary had an understanding. That her feelings and emotions. Could be the haze that doesn't allow her to see the mountains but Mary because she was spiritually grounded had enough realization to understand just because the fog is there doesn't mean the mountains aren't that Mount Everest was still looming behind them this view was still there the problem was there was just things that were in the way preventing them from seeing it and I think especially in this season with what we're walking through the emotions and the heaviness and the fog of maybe going through the pandemic exposed relational or financial troubles. Maybe going through the pandemic brought up a struggle with addiction to a high, higher level than you've had in a long time. Maybe you turned to some things that you'd never turned to before and then got trapped inside of them. Or maybe you began to question your future like it was never going to happen. Whatever it was, it was like the haze that just lived above Kathmandu. And Mary, being spiritually anchored, focusing on who God was, not how it was going to play out, allowed her to say, yes, the haze is there. But the haze is just a season. The haze present is just a life season. It's not a life sentence. Because the mountains are there too. And the mountains will stay long after the city falls away. That what Mary had because she was spiritually anchored was she had an ability to choose worship over worry. She had an ability to choose trust over the tension that the moment brought. And this was undergirding and empowering every single one of these other healthy practices she was doing. That this enabled her to walk through that nine-month valley of being misunderstood, of being judged, of seeing others' shame and guilt trying to be pressed on her. And she, understanding her emotions and labeling, literally having that modeled by God through the angel, having that community in those three months of being with Elizabeth and watching that miracle be born, Gave her the energy and the momentum for her to return home to wait for her miracle to be born. And all along, she's processing her experiences and decades later is able to sit down with Luke and with a vividness and a fullness that we are still blessed by 2,000 years later. Records every single moment and word of that whole experience. That gave her a bigger perspective that allowed her To choose worship over worry. And that is how to have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are good. That the news that you have for us is good. Thank you for the hope that comes through you, Jesus. That literally on Christmas we celebrate hope being born. And for some of us, God, in the midst of this moment and this struggle of whatever we're walking through, that for some of us, we need to be reminded that hope has been born, that hope is alive. And may you in our hearts today as we respond in song, may you through the words and the worship through the ways that we choose to practice these healthy rhythms, may you lead us to places of greater emotional and mental and spiritual health. So give us clarity today, Jesus, of where to start on that journey, of which thing to choose to begin our journey towards that health. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Hey, thanks so much for being here today.